Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. I'm Sarah Kaczynski. This week, we bring you a very special edition of interviews from Innovate Finance's Global Summit 2019. It's our third year attending the conference and its fifth year of existence, and it just seems to get bigger and better every year. We spoke to some fantastic guests, including Rishi Kosler, CEO of Oak North, Chris Woolard, Director of Strategy and Competition at the FCA, and to get a real flavour of the breadth of IFGS and indeed London fintech's influence on a global scale, I spoke to Charles Ung, Associate Director of Investment Protection at Invest Hong Kong. First of all, I sat down with Charlotte Crosswell, CEO of Innovate Finance, to learn all about the event, what 2019 looks like for Innovate Finance, what their goals are, and looking ahead already to IFGS next year. Let's hear from her now. Welcome to Fintech Insider. I'm Sarah Kaczynski, and I'm here with Charlotte Crosswell, who is the CEO of Innovate Finance. How are you, Charlotte? I'm good. I'm good. It's great to be here. Thank you. So we're about lunchtime on day one. How's it gone so far? I think it's been an incredible morning. I mean, we were anticipating well over 2,000 people turning up. It feels like they're all here already. <laughs> um, you know, packed rooms and some, you know, some great speeches, great panels you know, going on. So a hive of activity here in Guildhall. Yeah, and fabulous to have Mark Carney opening us up this morning. That's correct, yeah. Um, so, you know, what are you most looking forward to this afternoon? Anything in particular or...? I mean, we, you know, today we focused you know, on financial inclusion this morning. We've been talking about, a lot about that, about AI. This afternoon, going into some of the regional panels, which I'm interested in. We've just launched a FinTech National Network, um, which is all about linking up the ecosystem around the UK. So looking forward to hearing from them as well. Yeah, and that's so important. That's, I mean, I think we, we kind of get lost in this little bubble of like London FinTech, but actually Innovate Finance is a, is a national organisation, is that correct? It's a national organisation, but it's a membership association. And what we're seeing too often is FinTech companies outside of London who found and got some great innovation have to come to London to raise capital, then they move their headquarters to London. So we've got to stop that. You know, 94% of investment comes into London-based fintech. Yeah. So it's our job to say, well, actually, how do we create these innovation hubs in Manchester, in Leeds, in Edinburgh, in, hmm. in Wales, in Bristol, and actually keep them there and make sure that people recognise there's some great innovation happening outside of London. Well, absolutely. That, I mean, you want the, the jobs and the, you want that yeah, money to absolutely. go back into the local, the local ecosystem. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, it's a fight for talent. You know, yeah. And the talent pipeline is, you know, is quite incredible outside of London. So why are we sitting there all fighting over the same pool <laughs> yeah. instead of creating the jobs where the talent is? So I think it work to be done on that, but you know, that's, that's part of the plan for this year. And this afternoon's a brilliant step in that direction. Um, so you've been doing this event for a, a few years now. W- what's different this year? What, is there any changes to the way you've done things? Uh, so fifth year this year. Yep. So we're, you know, we, we learn and we evolve <laughs> and you know, I hope we get better. You know, this year we've put an investment zone in so people can book their one-to-one meetings with potential investors and vice versa. So that's exciting to have that. We've actually taken over what used to be the Great Hall. This time it's called The Hub and put people sitting there and um, able to have their stalls there. So actually people can go and list, look at all the innovation, whether that's really big companies or really small ones. And that, you know, that used to be a major stage. We yep. moved the stages around as well. So four stages you know, for two days. You know, so not, not bad. And the team's done a great job. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's been incredibly um, buzzing atmosphere here today, I have to say. So um, what, what would you say you've learned over the years you've been doing it? Because obviously there are a few changes, you know, some of them logistical and you, you know, you've brought in different zones and different people. But what would you say over, over the five years you've seen happen, um, either through this event or actually through the, the fintech ecosystem in London? Well, the, the fintech <laughs> ecosystem in London is, is putting on far too many events. That's yeah. the problem. So you know, I think all of us are a constant rush to sit there and make sure we're evolving that. You know, I think we recognise that you know, the more you can bring in those investors, that's a real added value. A lot of our fintech companies want capital investment. A lot of the investors want to have a central place like a membership body where they can do that. Um, and the same on skills and talent. You know, tomorrow afternoon, we're doing a fintech for schools event down at Mansion House to educate kids on financial wellness. 
um, you know, so we've, we recognise the skills and talent agenda, the capital investment agenda, the national agenda, the diversity agenda is huge. All female panel right up, you know, first thing this morning. You know, and we have to sit there and recognise where the trends are going in the industry and always get just, just before them, not too early, yeah. but just before those trends and, and evolve. And I think that's why you've seen such quite a significant change this year. Um, but also we've got 35 events happening this, this, this week. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, UK FinTech Week, which has always been about IFGS and a few others. This year is actually a spread of events across the country all week long. How so, exciting. Yeah, so really, you've got events happening in Leeds and Manchester and places like that as well. Yeah, so we've got members, members are putting their own events on now you know, across London, outside of London, you know, the north. Um, you know, so, you know, how great to see that being taken up by mm-hmm. something that an industry body has started. Um, you know, not many places do that around the world. And I think we put it out there and said, look, you know, how about people really start to focus on making it a whole week? So as we bring the international delegations over, then guess what? They want to just, you know, they want to come for more than two days. Yeah. We want to show them what else is happening around the country. Um, so that's, that was the result of it. And in fact, we were, <laughs> had an awful lot of interest in getting the events up on the website. And, you know, and that's what it's got to. So um, you know, what's happening tomorrow? You mentioned you've got an educational yep. uh, afternoon. What else exciting is happening tomorrow? So tomorrow, you know, so people start to do breakout sessions. We have, you know, something called We Call the Pink Stage uh, down at Grocers Hall, down the road. And that's going to be Pitch 360, which is all about people pitching, obviously, yep. for their investments. So that's always a very popular event as well. So again, quite a lot of focus on the investment side. And then, yes, down to Mansion House, you know, with some of the school kids who are finding out what fintech is and what is this fintech week. Um, and then over to Invest Roundtable with, with government as well. <laughs> and then presumably a little sit down. We may sit down. And so, have you, you already have you already started thinking about next year? Is this kind of you know you're saying you learn as you go and you evolve as you go? Do you, do you have to start planning next year? Sort of, I don't know, as of Wednesday. Uh, um, as of last week, I set the dates for next year. Um, so yes, we do. You know, the team is. Uh, we normally give them the weekend off. Yeah, it's a long yeah. weekend this weekend. So three That's days nice. off, I think, seems yeah. fair. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, yeah, the team obviously does a fantastic job. Um, but we do have to constantly sit there, debrief straight away. Talk about, you know, talk to our sponsors, supporters, our speakers, what was good, what didn't work so well. And then we immediately put that back into action straight away. Um, I think you will continue to see, you know, the investors look at this event and say, that's why I want to meet the fintech companies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think next year I would like to get bigger on the education piece already. Um, You know, we need to link into the universities. We just launched a jobs board last, last week for our fintech members. Um, So, you know, really advertise some of the opportunities that are out in fintech. And it's not, it's not finance, it's not tech, it's this whole new sector where you can sing in, bring in innovation, entrepreneurship, etc. And the diversity agenda will continue. But, Absolutely. You know. And, and, and I, you know, I, hate, I hate to be the one who brings it up, but presumably if at this point next year we are not part of the European Union, then it's, it's, I imagine it's also so important to A, plan for that, but B, to have this kind of national unity and, and well, not national, but also the regions, you know, Scotland and Wales involved as well. So, I mean, from your perspective, I imagine that already having that in your mind means that you're... You, I, w- I wouldn't say that what happens with Brexit doesn't matter, um, but it is also this event is not going to go away just because we're no longer part of the EU. I mean, everyone wants to mitigate risks. Yeah. Brexit, obviously, and I think it is a concern for fintech companies who are regulated, who are doing business in Europe already. Yeah. Um, but also for fintech companies who've got that as part of their investment story. You know, what happens to them? Are they going to have to spend money putting an office in overseas? Um, but you're quite right. You know, what we've seen is that incredible interest. And you look at the investment stats, which continue to be so strong. You know, last year, I thought that was going to be the bumper year. The Q1 this year is proving <laughs> to be even bigger. 
So we're not seeing investors from either the UK or outside the UK be put off yeah. on those investment stories. So I think that's really, really encouraging. I think people recognise the UK between regulators, between industry bodies, between government is very, very supportive of the sector. And you know, we need to keep that crown. I think we're doing, we're holding our own <laughs> at the moment. You know, we need what, third in, you know, to yeah. China and the US in Absolutely. terms of investment. Um, but some just incredible innovation now happening as people push the boundaries of where they go next. So um, obviously, you know, we just talked about 12 months ahead for Innovate Finance. You know, this event will be happening again next year. Is there anything else that we should be looking out for later in the year that's already planned? You, you know, any other Innovate Finance events or you know, any other initiatives that are launching that, that we should keep an eye out for? Um, so our events uh, programme goes throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So you know, that starts again next week. Yep. <laughs> um, some of those won't be quite so big as this one. Yep. Um, so sometimes those might be workshops, you know, PR workshops, legal workshops, meeting the banks, how to do business with them, to a huge amount around the diversity programme as well. Um, the FinTech for Schools campaign that we launched will again really begin in earnest once the kids get out of exam mode and we yep. can tell them what a career in FinTech might be. <laughs> and and uh, they've had a little nap as well. <laughs> had, yeah, we've, we've let them off for Easter. Um, yeah, so that will definitely start. And yes, we have investor office hours and speed dating events set up for May. So you know, no rest for the Innovative Finance team <laughs> and you know, back, back we go, uh, back to the office and get going again. Brilliant. Well, where can people find out more about any of those events or membership body or perhaps if they want to find out more about you know, the, the regional stuff, the more local stuff, where should they go? So yes, yeah, so we're on you know, www.innovatefinance.com has all the information there. We have digitized membership directories. We have all about the capital journey. We, have, we will have the dates up for Innovate <laughs> Finance next year. Twitter, Twitter handle at INFIN, I-N-N-F-I-N, um, and you know, IFGS 2019 will carry all the stories as well from this week. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I know you've had a very busy morning and you've got a very busy afternoon as well. Um, so all the best. Thank you. Thank you so much to Charlotte. So opening the show with Mark Carney is a big act to follow, but we're looking forward to IFGS 2020 already. Next up, fresh from his keynote on the main stage, I spoke to Chris Woolard, Director of Strategy and Competition at the FCA to learn more about sandboxes, GFIN and much, much more. Over to Chris. Welcome to Fintech Insider. I'm Sarah Kachansky and I'm here with Chris Willard from the FCA. You are the Executive Director for Strategy and Competition. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. You just come off stage. Did it go well? Yep, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> you can never quite tell. The audience seemed okay, though. Brilliant. Um, so you were talking about a few exciting things today, so I'd like to sort of get, you know, dig into those a bit. Um, first up, you gave us an overview on how the sandbox is going. So can you give us sort of the, the high-level, you know, How's it going? What's been good? Maybe a little bit of what's not gone quite so well? Yeah. So we've just announced the fifth cohort for our sandbox. It's the largest cohort that we've run so far. Um, What we've also published today, though, is an evaluation of how's the last five years of innovation gone. So that's not just the sandbox, but it's all the innovative services that we have. And when we step back, um, you know, five years ago, we had two people. Uh, today, we've got a fully-fledged division inside the organisation concentrating on innovation in all its different forms. And we've asked ourselves, well, we said we want innovation in the interests of consumers. There's enormous interest in these sorts of things. Uh, you know, many column inches written about it, many <laughs> conferences held. But is it actually doing what we think it should do? And some of this is quite hard to do. Some of this is quite hard to measure. Um, clearly, uh, there are effects that you try and pull apart from the rest of the market and what's going on, and you can't always be sure. And clearly, some of these things you can only judge over a much longer period of time. But what we can see, and what we're quite excited about, is actually, yeah, the, the qualified answer to this is innovation is working in financial services markets. In terms of our own work, uh, like for like, firms are 40% faster getting to market when they come through our innovation uh, unit. 
and that means that that's three months of development time, basically. I mean, that's a real big issue if you're a, an entrepreneur or an innovator. Absolutely, especially if you're just starting out and you haven't got capital to burn. Yeah. Um, similarly, for those firms that need investment, uh, if we look at the first phase of the sandbox, so the first 40-odd firms coming through the sandbox, half of them either got further investment or they were required by a bigger player during that time. So, uh, you know, we can see firms here getting to market faster, getting the investment that they need. On the other end of the scale, we're also seeing examples of consumers really starting to get different services out there. We said we wanted innovation at scale. And some of that is coming from large firms uh, using our services. So, for example, to launch robo-advice on a mass market basis. Uh, but some of it is also about either partnership with smaller fintechs or the fact that a fintech has launched uh, causing others in the market to have to respond, uh, but much larger players having to respond. And so the net effect of this is, you know, compared to five years ago, we have, you know, millions more consumers who can have greater choice uh, they can have, in many cases, better value, or they can have services that are more convenient. And that is something that clearly we set out to do from the start. Brilliant. So it's, it's overall, it's a net positive effect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not to say that there aren't more things to do. Of course. Uh, and in particular, one of the things uh, where we think there's still great scope for growth is around the international impact that can be had here. You know, one of the things we looked at when we first started this program was firms really wanting to grow to scale, not just domestically, but wanting to take their services internationally. Uh, so we've had a whole variety of things uh, that we've tried to do to help make that happen. Last year, I was here at the Guildhall talking about the idea of a global sandbox. Actually, we've been able to launch something called uh, the Global Financial Innovation Network. Initially, uh, around the turn of the year, we did that with 12 other regulators and partners. Uh, today, we can announce that we're up to 35 different partners Amazing. there, which is great. But more to the point, the practical proof of the pudding is, are we going to get firms test cross-jurisdiction? And today we're announcing the first eight uh, that we're taking on to the pilot phase. So those eight, um, you're actually going to be helping them move into another market. Uh, can you give us any indication of who the firms are or where they might be going? Yeah, so, so of the eight, um, uh, they're testing across 12 different jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. um, the plan is, uh, the next phase of this is to help them develop a testing plan across all of those jurisdictions. Where So usually they're partnering with three or four other regulators. Right. So let's get something that's coordinated and works well. So, so rather uh, than doing each thing individually with each regulator, having a sort of a, a triangular yeah, a proper, communication a, a, network. A proper yeah. plan that works across all of them. Um, so that initial uh, eight firms, uh, we're publishing who they are today in, in okay. conjunction with our partners uh, across GFIN. Four of those are testing uh, with uh, the FCA as part of their tests. So they're already up and running. Uh, so they're, they're firms that are established and up and running. Uh, the tests themselves, obviously, but this is the phase where we work out exactly what the pilot will look like in all of those jurisdictions. But, it, but it's, I think, a really, really positive moment today. And how long will that pilot phase run for, roughly? So, again, we're trying new things here. Yeah, of course. This is, this is very much a learning exercise for everybody, including all the regulators involved. But I think the model we're broadly basing it on is the sandbox one, which is around a sort of six-month test. And then how do you evaluate that, feed that back? Um, you know, we will have partner regulators out there who don't have the same kind of ability to just move from a test straight into authorization. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're going to try and overcome some of those, those bumps in the road. Do you find that some of those other regulators come to the FCA and, and ask for your advice on how, how you can do it? Do they, they come to you actively asking for advice or help? So that's certainly something we've seen, uh, particularly in the very early days, mm -hmm. uh, when nowhere else had a sandbox and, yeah. and those kind of questions. But, I mean, I think it's worth 
stressing that particularly when you look at uh, GFIN, mm -hmm. you know, there are there are some really uh, sophisticated partners in there with us. Uh, there are things you know we learn from others as much as them them learning learning from us. Uh, but the whole idea of this is really it's about the collaboration between regulators. We are trying something that really is no one has ever ever tried to do in this space before. Well, best of luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, one other thing you mentioned in your keynote earlier was um, a, a new initiative. Is it, I believe it's called Innovation for Public Good. Mm. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So, this is us uh, asking: Are there particular challenges where the kinds of approaches we've used around innovation or sandboxes can begin to solve wider public problems? So the first tranche of this was something we announced back in October, mm -hmm. where we said we're really interested in those innovative firms who might be able to solve issues around the environment, so, so green issues. And today, again, we've announced uh, the first round of firms that are going into the sandbox specifically to try and tackle environmental problems. Uh, through that green fintech challenge. So are they firms that um, will be doing things, you know, are they firms focused on, I don't know, recycling or waste management? Or is it more about the idea of getting firms generally to incorporate those values with, within themselves when they're starting up? Or is it a combination of both? Uh, so it's a real mix. So what we've got there is um, uh, some very large established firms, so people like Barclays, for example, um, who are looking at how uh, they can offer more financial products that have uh, an environmental angle to them, for example. There are others there who are using financial services to try and directly target environmental issues like um, uh, overuse of waste. Mm -hmm. um, but all of them are coming in from a financial services angle as the way of trying to use those products to underpin uh, what uh, services the public might need. Brilliant. Well, it sounds like you've got an awful lot going on. It all sounds very exciting. Um, I look forward to speaking to you next year and hearing further updates. Um, if anybody who's listening wants to find out more about any of those initiatives you just mentioned, the Sandbox, um, GFIN, or the Innovation for Public Good, where should they go? Which, where should they head to? So head to the FCA website, which is www.fca.org.uk. Um, you can find specific pages around innovation. There are also contact numbers there for our innovation teams. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. This deal sets apart to a brighter future. We will leave the EU. Uh, clearly the pressure is beginning. British jobs under The more you hear about Brexit, the less clear it all becomes. When everyone else is shouting, listen. For the clarity behind the headlines, subscribe to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com. Calling all fintechs, banks, developers. Are you looking at ways to use new open APIs to create the next financial app? Are you looking to break into new markets, the USA in particular? Finastra and Microsoft are hosting the Fusion One Developer Conference in London on the 21st and 22nd of May 2019, down at Tobacco Dock. Join this free open finance developer conference to upskill in open APIs, understand how you can tap into Finastra's 8,000 strong client base with your apps, and get hands-on technical walkthroughs with the platform and API experts. Register your place at Fusion One today online at fusionone.cloud. Join the open banking revolution, because after all, we're all innovators. Next, and also fresh from an appearance on the main stage, I spoke to Rishi Kozler, CEO and co-founder of Oak North, to ask him all about the new partnership with Monzo, 
their annual report, and the commitment to give back 1% of profits. Let's hear from him now. Welcome to Fintech Insider. Thank we you. We are here at IFGS um, for the third year, and I am with Rishi Kozler, who is the co-founder of Oak North. How are you today, Rishi? Excellent. Thank you. So um, where to start? You've had so much news recently uh, come out. You know, um, I'll, I'll pick one at random. Let's start with your partnership with Monzo. Super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how that partnership came about, um, you know, where you are with it, and you know, what's coming next? Sure. So if you look at um, our, the, the, our depositors, I mean, we have probably 50,000, 60,000 depositors. But all of those depositors are typically individuals who are, let's say, age 50 upwards as a demographic. They tend to be people who go into people who are semi-retired or retired and actually take the time and patience to actually find the best deposit rates for themselves. Now, that ends up being about 10 or 15% off the overall deposit market, which is over a trillion pounds in the UK. So there's about 85% to 90% of UK depositors which just are not getting paid for deposits at large commercial banks. They're getting paid maybe 0.1, 0.2% a year at max. Many of them will be get paid nothing. And our view was, is that we want to find a way to take higher rate deposits to the mass deposit market. And for us, Monzo was a great way to actually do that because a lot of Monzo's customers are exactly the individuals who actually would not necessarily go and spend the time to find a better deposit rate. So for us, it was a very logical partnership where it's actually a win-win for the customer, which ultimately is always the best best Mm -hmm. outcome. And um, so did you approach Monzo? Did they approach you? How, How did this sort of come about? I don't actually know the answer to that. So I mean, it's a meeting of minds by this point. It was a meeting of minds. There you go. And, um, and is, when is the product going to be live? When can we expect to see it? We're, we're live. You're live now. We're live. Perfect. Um, other exciting news? You had some annual report came out recently. Do you want to give us the highlights of that? Sure. I mean, earnings went up um, to about 33 million pre-tax pounds. Um, year three, year three of operations for us. Um, again, continued our sort of track record of not having any defaults on the book. Um, the, the earnings were up by over 300% and generally sort of continuing to do what we started off doing. What's, what's been really, in a way, pleasing for us is that if you look at the business today at, at the scale we're at, say, 2.6 billion pounds loan book today, and you compare that with where we were at the end of last year, 2.2 billion, the beginning of last year at 850 million, it's sort of the, the makeup of the business is very, very similar. Mm-hmm. So for, for us, that just shows that actually the core of what we built is scalable and we're being able to scale whilst keeping true to all of the metrics that we had sort of put in, in place for ourselves. So you're just doing exactly the same thing, but at a larger scale with, you know, greater results. Incredibly boring, isn't it? <laughs> no. You know what? I love a boring business model. One that works any day of the week over anything exciting. There you go. Um, and so um, there's also some news out today, I believe. that So we, we have a, a habit of looking at fintech as very London-centric, I think. Yep. And we sort of find ourselves in this little bubble, assume everybody around us know what, knows what fintech is and, and loves it as much as we do. Um, but I believe that, you know, today you had some news that you're, you're trying to push that, that understanding outside of London and taking Oak North and, you know, its products to, to, to the wider UK audience. Yep. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. So I'd say that we've always been very um, nation-centric, right? 
um, but clearly biased on London and the Southeast because that's where most economic activity in the country actually occurs. Um, so we've done transactions in Wales, we've done uh, transactions in Scotland, et cetera, et cetera. But what we are doing now is we're actually putting debt finance directors um, on the ground in different parts of the country, which for us is, is the next step up now in actually wanting to do more across the country uh, because we do feel, like you say, a lot of the activity ends up being centric around London. And I think actually um, for, for all the great products you, you offer, particularly if you're looking at small businesses, they are all over the UK. So whilst a small business in, in London or somewhere in the southeast might well think to go online and think, oh, we'll try, uh, try you know, a, a, a new lender or, or yep. and, um when you look at sort of a somebody who is a one-man band in Newcastle upon Tyne, maybe they don't have the same access to, to these these services. Right. And, and there's and there's actually just combating the inherent inertia across business owners, which is to go to their clearing bank mm-hmm. as their only port of call for debt financing, which is the way that this country has run for decades. Um, and breaking that to actually making people outside London understand that I've, there are alternatives. So you're actually putting people on the ground. In, any, do you know where you're going first? So Manchester, we've already okay. done. Um, and then we're putting someone on the ground in Bristol, Birmingham. So all, all the major cities. Perfect. There we go. Um, and uh, one other thing uh, I heard recently is that you have um, announced that you're going to be dedicated 1% of profits to, um, is, it, is it just charitable causes? Is it causes for social and economic good? Well, can you tell me a little bit more about so, that? Sure. So 1% is what we want to give back mm-hmm. um, around social entrepreneurship fundamentally. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like I just mentioned in the, in the talk we gave, I mean, part of that is also going back to give to actually promoting STEM education and entrepreneurship within girls' schools around the country because we feel like actually the, the, the flow of um, girls who actually make the decision to actually study STEM subjects is fundamentally underrepresented today and therefore that's something which, which we feel passionately about. But likewise, in terms of actually promoting entrepreneurship generally within the country, and also entrepreneurship, which is actually socially minded, which doesn't necessarily mean it's a social venture, mm-hmm. but one which is very cognizant of the social implications of that venture. So uh, sort of a, a project or, or a business that will in some way give something back to society, whether that is, you know, helping uh, the underbanked have access to financial services or, uh, you know, kind of a, a green or, a, a, you know, green charity, that so, green charity, green business, that kind of thing. So yes, and also, I mean, and that's why I make the distinction, mm. um, extending to actually if you are going to set up a new widget company mm-hmm. actually making sure that within that widget company you're thinking about actually how how do you think about diversity how do you think about your employees how do you think about the environment etc within that business not necessarily that that widget company has to be within right. the green space or so, the, so the, like. the business itself is just just in the way it operates actually contributing and, and to me that's the that's the bigger impact because Absolutely. if you can make all businesses think about all the social implications of their business, yeah. then you have a much bigger wave um, in, in the right direction rather than only specific businesses which are saying, I'm focused on green. Mm-hmm. If you can get all businesses yeah. to focus on green, that's going to have a, a meaningfully larger impact. So, so that's the way we think. Yeah, it is an ideal that when we get to the point where we don't have to talk to businesses about increasing the number of women on their board or we get to the point where businesses stop shouting about the fact that they don't send anything to landfill as a good thing. If everybody just does that, there you go. then that's our, our ultimate goal, right? Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think everybody knows where they can find Oak North, but if anybody 
hasn't uh, found you yet, where can they come and look for you guys? Openauth.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Rishi. Thank you. And last, but by no means least, I also spoke to Charles Ung, Associate Director General of Investment Promotion at Invest Hong Kong, who spoke to me about Hong Kong virtual banking licenses, open banking APIs, and their new Hong Kong UK fintech bridge program, among many other insights into Hong Kong as a fintech hub, which is aiming to allow startups to access the coveted Asian market. Welcome to Fintech Insider. I'm Sarah Kachansky, and I'm here with Charles Ung from Hong Kong Invest. You are the Associate Director General of Hong Kong Invest. So could you give us a little bit of an overview of what that means? What do you do? Sure. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, really excited to be here um, uh, at this uh, great event. Uh, what we do at Invest Hong Kong and what my particular role is, is to really uh, promote uh, the innovation technology agenda of the Hong Kong government. Uh, in particular, fintech uh, and other parts of innovation technology, which are smart city, AI, robotics, and healthcare, um, to name a few. So quite a w- wide remit. Quite a <laughs> wide remit. And what we do is to attracting companies. To, so first of all, we promote Hong Kong to the rest of the world. We attract companies to come in and look at Hong Kong as a place to set up and expand their operations in Hong Kong. And also, uh, we facilitate their setup. So we connect them with the various stakeholders, uh, that they need to connect with so that they can start their business in a very smooth way as possible. And also um, helping build the ecosystem, which is very important. And that's uh, kind of the overall remit that we have. So um, I'll pick up on one of those things, you know, part of the infrastructure. Um, I believe that Hong Kong's just announced the first recipients of the digital banking licenses, which is a, a new initiative. Um, you know, can you give us a little bit of an overview of, of what that program is? You know, who the, who the, the not the winners, I suppose, but the successful applicants have been and, you know, what you hope that's going to do for Hong Kong FinTech? Yes, uh, there are a couple of, uh, there are four actually. Uh, there was, uh, I, think, I think, over more than 25, 30 uh, applicants. And I think that there's four of them that were announced uh, uh, in the last couple of weeks in regards to virtual banking. And it's very interesting to see uh, the, the, the players. Uh, some of them are uh, actually their own company, and some of them are partnering with different stakeholders, different corporations, as small and big um, corporations, to looking at that. I think the overall uh, aspect of the virtual banking initiative is really to bring uh, the whole financial service center to the next level, uh, the whole digitalization, and also the, the virtual banking is enabling and will enable new business models to come in, uh, will enable all these new players to offer perhaps a different type of uh, services that the current type of uh, brick and mortar banks are not providing. And also more importantly to looking at uh, the value creation um, outreach to a lot of uh, different stakeholders, different businesses that were not able to perhaps access the current uh, banking, uh, the current banks, uh, brick and mortar banks that are offering the type of products and services. And I think that the exciting thing that comes in is the range of products and services we're going to see coming out of the virtual banking, because I think there's a lot more flexibility and having um, uh, this virtual bank's uh, license will enable people to really develop and curate and uh, and really innovate in terms of their products and services, which is, I think, especially we're talking about uh, people who traditionally are not able, or the, tr- the traditional banks are not necessarily 
so excited to offer the certain type of services to a certain groups of people. So I think we will see a lot of disruption going on and um, in a very good way. Um, to offering especially a different type of a wide range of services and products to startups, to SMEs, and to other companies that would otherwise not be able to access those services via the traditional banks. So, um, and, and we've seen some of that happen in the UK as well. I imagine you watch what's happened in the UK market quite closely as well. Um, but that sort of leads me on to my next question, which is uh, something you've recently announced, I believe, which is the Hong Kong-UK FinTech Bridge. Yes. Um, so could you tell me a little bit more about that initiative, what you, what you hope it's going to achieve? Yes, it's a, it's a very exciting um, a partnership. It's a real partnership which really demands a lot of collaboration and we've already seen uh, a really great collaboration between uh, DIT and also the government in Hong Kong, our Financial Services Treasury Bureau, uh, Invest Hong Kong, which is basically our department in charge of overseeing uh, inward foreign investments and also promoting Hong Kong and also the regulators. So it's different uh, levels from a government to government level, business to business and also from a regulators to regulators level. We're seeing on these, on these fronts really uh, great things happening. Uh, one of the exciting things we're going to see this afternoon is uh, the awards uh, where there's been 10 companies from the UK that has been selected to, uh, to represent the UK and actually uh, been part of the FinTech Awards um, to, 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 to Hong Kong. And uh, similarly, we're also going to be creating a number of um, global FinTech uh, competition to really... Uh, showcase some of the uh, companies from over there, Hong Kong to, to here as well. So I think it's a win-win situation for both uh, the, the, the entrepreneurs, uh, the scale-ups, as well as investors and the overall ecosystems in general. Absolutely, and, and, and we've seen that sort of um, you know idea work elsewhere as well. You know, when you it's, it's so important to have all those different layers involved because if you, the regulators just do it, that that's one element, but that's that's not enough on its own. Right. So. Right. But I think it's very important that the regulators are speaking because you know, uh, um, and uh, the UK obviously is a is a leading platform in the world, and I think it's very important that. Uh, uh, people will always listen to some of the great things that you're already doing and to see what are the lessons learned and what are the new things that can, could come up. Because now with the advancement of AI, uh, machine learning, and all the other new technologies coming up, cutting across different sectors, uh, the possibilities are, are limitless. And I think that collaboration and cross-border collaboration is really key. Yes. Um, so we are very, very keen to forging this ahead together, uh, working in partnership, in close partnership with uh, the UK DIT and, and other partners uh, that are coming into play. So I mean, it's so important for companies to know that they have a big enough market to expand into. So yes, I, because when you see, I think every startups or scale up, uh, they're looking for four things. Pr primarily, they're looking for access to new markets because a company would not do well if they're just looking at their own market, whether it is from the UK or from Hong Kong and vice versa. People are looking at globally from day one, what are the markets that they could expand into. Uh, second is access to funding. Uh, funding is not just coming from one place, but it's coming across different parts. And there's a lot of, we see more and more collaboration amongst investors, family offices across the continents to collaborate and I think to co-invest together. Uh, together with some of the programs that the, both governments are giving out uh, and incentives that governments are giving out. And uh, also access to talent. Um, you have talent that are, again, across-border because technology is going so fast 
that there's no one city or one economy which is able to grapple with and say that I've got everything. <laughs> yes. So people actually, obviously, when we talk about blockchain or cybersecurity or, or regulatory technology and so on, uh, there's a lot of uh, cross-border uh, transactions and initiatives that happens. And it's always very important to have this collaboration across border, especially for fintech, because fintech is more than anything else cross-border. So we have to have uh, this uh, type of very strong collaboration. And if the governments and also the regulators and the businesses are taking the lead in this, and together with the universities as well, I would say, the universities play a very important role. So people are looking access to talent, which I think the universities and the academic institutions are able to churn out, but also businesses because uh, the talent will become as good as the could get if they're able to practice there what they've learned and what they've done in real life yeah, uh, situations. And it's, and it's that importance of, of supporting the ecosystem from the ground up. So making sure you've got another generation to follow in the footsteps of the people who've been the pioneers. Absolutely. And our role, we believe it's very important that we, uh, we facilitate, we promote and facilitate and we really make it easy so that we create an environment which is really uh, attractive, which is really um, uh, enduring and which is also uh, very profitable for businesses to flourish into. Yes, absolutely. And, and having that local knowledge, I imagine, is so important as well. The Hong Kong market is, is, is quite different, I imagine, to the UK market? Um, uh, yes and no. You know, we have, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very much a B2B market, but uh, because there's a lot of similarities because we're similar like London, Hong Kong is a, a, also a, another global financial center. And um, of course, because of the fact that we are part of China and part of Asia, um, the, the dynamics are different. So we have uh, within five hours flight, uh, 3.5 billion people have the world's population. We also have this uh, great initiative with Shenzhen and what we call the Greater Bay Area cities, which are the 11 cities just north of Hong Kong and uh, just across the, the border. And bas basically you have an, uh, an, uh, an economy equivalent to 1.6 trillion US dollars within one hour uh, of, of traveling, huge. <laughs> 70 million people you're talking about. So it's a very, very big market potentially. And a lot of innovation actually, um, unlike what it was uh, decades ago, and a lot of innovations coming out from different parts of the world, including uh, Asia and China. And we see a lot of innovation in terms of the new technology, whether it is AI, machine learning, uh, FinTech, and so on and so forth. So I think that uh, this synergy is really creating a, a real interesting dynamic. So in a way, because of Hong Kong's history, uh, because of the fact that uh, you know, we have a very strong foothold with the UK and the partnership with the UK and Europe and the Commonwealth countries, and uh, we're based on the Commonwealth system, IP protection, IP enforcement, uh, and also being part of China, you get kind of the best of both worlds, if you will. So uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening, and we have a lot of new technology companies and new lots of new business models coming up. And I think that uh, the idea of virtual banking, open API, and all the other technologies coming up is really adding to that because at the end of the day, companies get to benefit from an openness, from a collaboration, from a um, synergy that is second to none. And we believe that this partnership is, is going to create that for a win-win situation for both UK companies and also for, for Asian and Hong Kong-based companies coming out of Hong Kong. Would you say that perhaps Hong Kong could be sort of a, almost a gateway to China or a gateway to Asia for, for a UK company looking to expand right. that way? So we are very much that uh, and has, I've played this role for, for, for many years and I think increasingly so. We're seeing a lot of companies uh, from around the world looking at, at, uh, at 
ASEAN mm -hmm. and also Asia, as, as, yep. as, as a matter of fact. So China has 1.4 billion people, India 1.1 billion, and ASEAN. And the fact that we are right sitting in that very sweet spot in the center of of kind of the geographic area, and just like in the UK as well, you are really in a sweet spot overseeing all of Europe. So there's a lot of synergies that can that can happen, and people will always look up to uh, these two hubs and two centers too. It's a it's just very natural fit the way we see it, and uh, so in addition to companies from all over the world coming to to sort of using Hong Kong as a gateway for ASEAN and Asia and China, we also have uh, a lot of Chinese companies using Hong Kong as a springboard. To go global, so they are they have to grow outside of, of of the mainland, and some of them are very good companies that are offering different type of services and, and products. And I think that uh, by coming out here, not only could they grow the business, but also that could benefit some of the partnerships that they could create with other UK companies in particular and others that are in this region. Absolutely, it works both ways. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, you mentioned, um, you, you touched on it there, but uh, I believe that Hong Kong is introducing open banking APIs in the same way that we've seen in the UK and we'll hopefully soon see in Europe, although it's, it's been a little bit slower than most of us would like. Um, you know, what was, what's inspired that and what kind of role do you think that open APIs and if you like kind of the cultural decision behind it to be open and to share, what, what impact yeah, is that having I, on the, the I, ecosystem? Yeah, I think... You know, the whole idea of AI, big data, is very much at the forefront. And uh, uh, I think that the world will see this is just only the beginning. And the technology nowadays en enable people to do uh, EKYC, uh, a lot of the digital uh, platform using the data. And every bank, every institutions, every even non-banks, they're saying to you that they consider themselves as data companies because any company that has a lot of data, that collects a lot of data, and that works with a lot of data using AI and uh, and also a lot of machine learning and so on, is able to actually do a lot of uh, come come up come up with a lot of um, products and which actually forecast the way uh, things will happen. And I think that this whole uh, drive in the advancement of AI and adoption and adaptation of AI and and big data is at the forefront of this. And I think that uh, being uh, an innovate, international innovation and technology hub and also global financial center, it is inevitable. It is actually, it's not a matter of whether we like it or not. It's a matter of must yes. that we need to really, if we want to be a step ahead uh, uh, to really adopt an open API system so that uh, a platform so that uh, people, the players in it could actually maximize the synergy. Uh, and also it's a learning process. Yes, absolutely. As we all do. And I think that this is where I think this collaboration is even more important than ever before because there are a lot of lessons learned and we can actually all, because the geographic market, we, I don't see that as actually, you know, yes, there's a bit of competition, but at the end of the day, the, 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 the benefits outweigh way, way much more than anything that about, it's about competition because at the end of the day, we can all learn from each other, the lessons learned. And because of the environment is so different, the dynamics are different. So a lot of the lessons learned that, that could be, have been taken from the UK here in, in, in Europe and also in Asia could we have a lot of exchanges and to avoid a lot of pain for everyone. Yes, you can learn from somebody else's pain and avoid so it yourself. So you don't have to repeat the same thing and yeah. repeat the same mistake again and hopefully uh, in a much better way to 
to advance uh, the next generation of development of initiatives that we are going to be doing. Brilliant. Well, it all sounds very exciting. Thank you so much for your time, Charles. Um, if anybody wants to find out more about um, Hong Kong Invest or some of the programs you mentioned there, where yes. should they go? Do you have a website? Yes, so we have uh, our www.investhk.gov.hk. We also have the, the FinTech Hong Kong website. Uh, we have a coming up uh, very exciting uh, first world's first cross-border FinTech week uh, we're having in November from the wow. 4th to the 8th of November in Hong Kong. And we're going to have uh, over 20 country pavilions. We're going to expect about over 10,000 people, uh, we, which we hope will really see sort of the engagement with uh, the investors, engagement with the corporates, the users, as well as the other um, innovators. Brilliant. Sounds super exciting. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank, Thank you. you. And that concludes this very special FinTech Insider from IFGS. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to join the discussion and add your thoughts to anything we talked about, find us on social media at FinTech Insiders on Twitter or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Periscope and YouTube. We'd love to hear your thoughts. As usual, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really, really love us, please do leave us a review. That's all for this week. Thank you so much. Goodbye.